Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter three of his work on liberty, John Stuart Mill makes a seeming excursus into some discussion of theology, specifically that of what he calls the Calvinist theory. And he's mostly interested here in the effects on individuality and its development. It comes up when he says, it is so on the Calvinist theory. And what does he mean? What is so? Well, the question is, is this or is it not the desirable condition of human nature? And we can say, well, what, what is the desirable condition of human nature that he's talking about? If we backtrack just a little bit, he says, we can look at in our times from the highest class of society down to the lowest. Everyone lives as if under the eye of a hostile and dreaded censorship, not only in what concerns others, but what concerns only themselves, the individual or the family do not ask themselves, what do I prefer? Or what would suit my character and disposition? Or what would allow the best and highest in me to have fair play and enable it to grow and thrive? They ask themselves instead, what is suitable to my position? What is usually done by persons of my station and pecuniary circumstances, or worse still, what is usually done by persons of a station and circumstances superior to mine. And he says, I don't mean that they choose what is customary in preference to what suits their own inclination. It does not occur to them to have any inclination except for what is customary. And so what's going on here? What is the effect? He says that they have no nature to follow. Their human capacities are withered and starved. They become incapable of any strong wishes or native pleasures and are generally without either opinions or feelings of home growth or properly their own. And he concludes this by saying, now is this or is it not the desirable condition of human nature? And the Calvinist says, yes, a hundred times yes to that. Now, What does Mill actually mean by Calvinism here? Is he only talking about those Protestant Christians who self-identify as followers of John Calvin? For example, the Presbyterians of his time, the remnants of the independents such as the Puritans who largely went over to the United States, the French Huguenots. Is that what he he means? No, he has something broader in mind here, as we can see by the way that he's going to describe their attitude. I would go so far as to say that within many different Protestant denominations and within Catholic Church, Orthodox churches, Eastern Oriental churches, the entire gamut of Christianity, we can find people endorsing something like this Calvinist theory. They might have been on the outs with their particular church, or they may have been sort of looked up as an ideal or exemplar of sainthood for their church. But there's a lot of people who do adopt a similar position to what he's calling the Calvinist here. And I would go so far as to say even further that we can find similar tendencies towards asceticism towards expurgating the human nature in favor of obedience to the divine in other religions as well. And we might even be able to say that we can find this in secular forms, although I'll leave that for you to think about as a further reflection. 
So what is the Calvinist theory? Mill sums it up by saying that it views the one great offense of humankind as being self-will, as choosing for itself outside of what we might call the brackets or limitations of obedience to the divine will. And, and essentially the choice is you choose your own way, you choose self-will, or you choose God's will and aligning yourself with that. And so from this point of view, as he says, all the good of which humanity is capable is comprised in obedience, obedience to God's plan, God's will, however it's been revealed, however it's understood. And so any bit of asserting your own self-will that's not entirely within those, those confines is going to be something bad, something diabolical, something corrupt, something evil, you could say. And so the Calvinist, in this sense, views human nature as radically corrupt. Like he says, there is no redemption for anyone until human nature is killed within him. And the corollary to this is that, he says, holding this theory of life, crushing out any of the human faculties, capacities, and susceptibilities is no evil. Man needs no capacity, but that of surrendering himself to the will of God, if he uses any of his faculties for any other purpose, but to do that supposed will more effectually, he is better without them. So if we take the sort of things that Mill typically talks about, developing the moral sense in a progressive way to the point where we might say, well, we've been treating people badly. We need to rectify that within society. The Calvinist would say, who are you? to interfere with the divine and natural order. Who are you to rely upon your conscience, your reasoning capacities to say that we should do something differently in society? Or if the Calvinists aren't in charge, of course, then they always want to change society. It's part of how the Puritans got themselves kicked out of England, right? But the idea here is that the human capacities and faculties are only there to serve God and to align the human being in relation to that. Another thing that Mill often talks about are our aesthetic faculties, our capacities to grasp beauty, to understand artwork, to produce. And, you know, the Calvinist could say, okay, produce, but for the greater glory of God, anything else is self-will. Let's get rid of all those Renaissance paintings that are showing the artistry of the artist and just focus on the things that are aligned perfectly with the divine. So we can think about all sorts of other examples. Mill also says that this can come in what he calls a mitigated form by people who wouldn't call themselves Calvinists, right? But they're really Calvinists at heart in a certain way. He calls this a less ascetic viewpoint of the will of God so that there's a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of fun time built into it. He says here that they assert his will to be that mankind should gratify some of their inclinations. So you don't just expunge everything. You know, maybe you can drink beer, but only, you know, to benefit your health or to at certain occasions for conviviality. But you, you can only have three. And 
we see this sort of thing done in many religious communities, and then people immediately find ways to sneak around and get what they want, right? Which then, from a Calvinist interpretation, is, is, is evil. He says that they're allowed to gratify some of their inclinations, not in the manner they themselves prefer, but in the way of obedience. That is, in a way prescribed to them by authority, therefore by the necessary conditions of the case, the same for all. So somebody comes in and says, all right, you can indulge yourself to a certain extent, but only to this extent and only for these reasons and only with these desires in mind and anything else is bad. So let's all be like this together. Or you don't have to indulge yourself. You can be more ascetic, but you can't be less ascetic than what we're laying out here. So what is the, the net effect of this? Well, you know, it's going to keep people within very close limits and their individuality is not going to develop except perhaps by way of rebellion against that. Mill thinks that this is contrary to a proper understanding of the divine being. And in saying this, he is echoing many, many religious people throughout the history of Christianity and the other great world religions as well, saying that religion should recognize that the divine being is a being who's good, who wants us to develop as human beings, who gave us the potentialities and the capacities and the faculties, not in order that they be so neatly pruned that they're almost like a overwrought garden, you know, where the, the topiary has been cut and pruned into the shape of swans or something like that. And a bush can't actually be a bush, right? Or where you have to constantly plant and replant and pull things out because the color scheme has to be just right. No, Mill thinks that what we want is something more like a real biome that develops. He doesn't use those terms, of course, but you could think of it in those terms where here in the Midwest, for example, the prairie grasses are not actually weeds. Neither are necessarily dandelions, which are one of the hardiest of the plants and have a beautiful flower and can be used for many things. So according to Mill, what God really would want from us is for our faculties to be, as he says, cultivated and unfolded. And that's going to require deviating from the Calvinist viewpoint on things. We're not going to be able to buy into something like that. He says that many persons, no doubt, sincerely think human beings cramped and dwarfed are as the maker designed them to be, just as many have thought trees are a much finer thing when clipped into pollards. But if it be any part of religion to believe that man was made by a good being, it's more consistent with faith to believe that these faculties are to be cultivated, not rooted out and consumed, and that he, the divine being takes delight in every nearer approach made by his creatures to the ideal conception embodied in them, every increase in any of their capacities of comprehension, of action, or enjoyment. And here he, he says something really interesting. He says, there's a different type of human excellence from the Calvinistic. A conception of humanity as having its nature bestowed on it for other purposes than merely to be abnegated. He brings up pagan self-assertion. Now, this is something that was a contrast back then at the time that Mill was writing. Paganism, you could think about Aristotle and the great-souled person, the prideful person who is indeed worthy of great honors, demands them. And then the Christian ideal, which seems to be at odds with this. Christianity says pride, self-will is a fundamental 
problem. It's a, it's a stumbling block. It's something that actually can vitiate or destroy all the other virtues as it sucks them in. Mill says oh, it's not so simple as that. He goes on and says, pagan self-assertion is one of the elements of human worth. There's something good to that, as well as Christian self-denial. There is a Greek ideal of self-development in which the, the Platonic and Christian ideal of self-government blends with, but does not supersede. And then he, he has some comparisons here. It may be better to be a John Knox, a famous Calvinist who brought Calvinism to Scotland, than to be an Alcibiades. Alcibiades, if you don't know who he was, a student and lover of Socrates, who was kind of the golden boy of Athens at the time and turned out to be a complete screw-up and betrayed Athens' part and Persia in turn and ruined his life and, and that of many other people. So he says, it's better to be John Knox than to be Alcibiades, but those aren't the only options. It is better to be a Pericles than either, nor would a Pericles, if we had one in these days, be without anything good which belonged to John Knox. So what we want is something which interfuses these different aspects. In, in other places, for example, utilitarianism, Mill will say that we need to borrow from all these different things, not just Christianity, but also Stoicism to a certain extent, and also from this and that, in order to have a better character. And that's only possible if you have the freedom, and not just the freedom in terms of people not censoring you, but the freedom in terms of people not getting on your backs about you being a bad person for following your inclinations. If you have the freedom to consider, to appropriate, to try on, to incorporate into what he calls your individuality. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.